think of myself as more of an ideas person. Now it's evolved, I guess, a great deal because I'm in fittings, I'm creating um, colour boards, everything, you know, but it was much easier when I began because it was like literally one product, 10, and then it became 150. Margie Woods is an entrepreneur, a mother and a leader. She's at the helm of two businesses, Victoria and Woods and The Loft Agency, with a team of around 140 people. She started small and in the past 18 years has built up two seriously impressive companies. In my chat with Margie, she makes it all seem so effortless. She's really honest about the lessons she's learned, but most importantly, reminded my eager spirit that Rome wasn't built in a day and that mistakes will be made. Above all, Margie just loves her family and friends, and I'm really honoured that she sat down with me to chat about her process. In this episode, we recorded in a new space on new mics and Margie's microphone wasn't quite at the correct levels. So I'm over here reminding myself that mistakes are okay and I hope that you'll forgive me. This episode was brought to you by the beautiful team at the Australian Style Institute. For over a decade, the Australian Style Institute has delivered their personal styling and editorial styling courses to students across Australia and online. But forget everything you know about traditional education. This is hands-on practical learning by industry-leading stylists, curious creatives and entrepreneurial minds just like you. Find out more and chat to the team at australianstyleinstitute.com.au. Margie and I were talking about skincare before I hit record and there is some of my gushing for my love of the By Terry CC Cream and the Shantagai Tinted Moisturizer, both available at Mecca. I was going to take it out, but I thought that if you're anything like me, you might value the tip. So let's dive in. It's so good. Okay. Um, and then the Shantagai CC Cream, all like a tinted moisturizer vibe. Yeah. I've like had a like... Full it's one revelation. Oh my god! Now doing my makeup, I'm like, I finally know what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> yes. So Margie Woods, doll. I'm so excited that you said yes. Um, let's first of all introduce the brand, Victoria and Woods, and the Loft Agency. The Loft Fashion Agency um, is a kind of a trade only business, and it represents approximately 20 brands. It could be actually more right now. And it's a mixture of emerging brands, international brands and some established brands. Um, And we decide, I guess, where we want to position it in the market. And um, we're often launching brands and um, introducing them to various buyers from David Jones, the iconic and then smaller um, multi-label boutiques and a few across the world as well. Um, And... Yeah, I guess we work with the designers really closely to launch them quite successfully and position them well to allow them to grow organically um, throughout their brand life, I guess. And then how long does a brand stay with you at The Loft for? Oh, you know, sometimes it's like I think we've got one brand now that's been with us for probably 10 years, I'd say. Wow. Some brands might last about five, six years. So it's usually quite a long journey to be honest, yeah. Wow. And you started both of them in the same year. Yes. Was that so that Vic and Woods could then, the loft could service loft, Victorian Woods? The loft did launch Vic and Woods. But I guess I, I had kind of two ideas at the time. One is that I wanted to launch a fashion agency and another was um, I, I saw a gap in the market for, you know, I guess contemporary knitwear and um 
I just simultaneously launched them. There was no, um, I didn't realise that both be successful. <laughs> they just <laughs> So, yeah, it's like I, it just kind of happened um, really quickly, really organically and, to be honest, very successfully, both wow. in unison. So it was, yeah. And what year was that? Unusual story. Um, 2004. So that was sort of when... I think we're in our 18th year now. That so. Was, so that was pre-social media, really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Was it scary launching two things, like imagining your Monday to Friday when you were launching both? How did that look? Was it manic? Well, the loft at that time had about maybe only three labels or four labels. One of them was Victoria M. Woods. And Victoria M. Woods started very conceptually, so it was like, you know, literally one one design in a variety of colours. So I just, I don't know, I've always been quite a hard worker, I think, and I think I've always been quite driven and I just didn't notice that it would be a workload. I just went through each day by day, <laughs> yeah. whatever, you know, whatever kind of path it took, I just went with it. Yeah. yeah. So what, what was your start in fashion? The first fashion role I had was with a jewellery designer called Candy Spender and she mostly made made-to-order um, costume jewellery using Swarovski crystals and she did a lot of um, runways back then so it was quite avant-garde and then she'd um, make bespoke pieces for private clients. So when it started it was literally that small and I was her assistant and then suddenly I started even putting jewels together for some customers and, you know, like creating alongside them collaboratively how this necklace might look. And then um, I went on to being her sales manager and then kind of like her GM, I guess, in the end. And we started to wholesale quite extensively across the um, Australian market and, yeah, it just kind of grew organically. And at the same time I was studying marketing and then probably five years on I applied for a role at Metallicus who was actually started as an accessory label. So I think it was kind of a very um, easy shift towards them. But they'd also just launched a bodywear label and, um yeah, so when I started there, it was quite small and suddenly they stopped doing accessories. They were only focusing on their bodywear and, um, yeah, it just grew to a huge company in the time that I was there. Um, and for me, I was really lucky because I got in really, really early. I got to work very closely with the designer. I got to work really closely with the production team and um, my role was um, marketing and sales manager or brand manager, you might call it today. And um, But because I was um, in there from the very, very beginning, I was a very big part of product development and the newness that developed out of the brand, um, even into how we were going to start to blend um, what was originally quite a nylon product with cottons and things like that. And, um, yeah, so by the time I'd left, they'd opened about a couple of stores, were represented around the world, including Selfridges, and, 
yeah, I think about a year after I'd left, they might have sold as well. So, yeah, it was quite a big company back then. And it was all Australian made as well. Um, And then, yeah, like I guess one of the reasons that I wanted to be, um, um, you know, why the loft was even conceived is I used to manage agents across the world and across Australia and I used to look at their lifestyle and think, I really want that. (laughs) All of, like, all of January off. I want that. They're their own boss, all the rest of it. So anyway, one thing led to another and then with my label, Victorian Woods, um, it was actually an idea that I'd pitched to my old boss um, uh, about doing 100% merino and, you know, really developing that sort of more natural side of things. And um, I think I pitched it to her a couple of times, maybe three times, and then eventually I thought, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> yeah, Because <laughs> I really felt there was this gap in the market for, you know, modern basics, I guess, you know, at the time. So, yeah, that's how it all sort of developed. Was it at Metallicus that you learned all tech packs and, like, all of that? Because when yeah. I think about a fashion brand, all of that, and especially with a background in marketing and if you're in a sales role, going into that is so intimidating. Yeah. Well, I didn't have to do tech packs at all and I still don't. My team does that. So, But what I did do was um, work closely with the designers on ideas, I guess. So I think of myself as more of an ideas person. Um, and now it's evolved, I guess, a great deal because I'm in fittings, I'm creating um, colour boards, everything, you know, but it was much easier when I began because it was like literally one product, yeah. 10, and then it became 150. But it was always kind of a gap that I felt in my market and I've always had a strong sense of, design. My mother used to make her own clothes. Um, Yeah, I kind of was always surrounded by it. It just felt very natural to me and very, I was very self-taught, I guess, along the process. So Vic and Woods was founded obviously on the ethos of slow, purposeful fashion that's refined and it remains true now in the brand DNA. It's very on trend and very relevant. What changes are you faced with as collections and now that you, I mean, you guys are big now, yeah. like the store count that you have, the SKUs that you have. I mean, we've been on set doing video for you guys and it's unbelievable the offering and the collections that you guys do. What sort of challenges have you faced growing the brand and the, and I guess the consumer expectations? I guess, um, you know, when you're developing a brand as a young brand, you're kind of just like, taking each season as it comes. And, yes, you're looking at trends and then you're looking at what your customer wants. Obviously, you continue to do that and, you know, what they're liking from you. But then when you start to scale, I guess, and you start to open stores, um, the numbers become so much more important and the planning of collections becomes so much more important. And you start to have to balance brand with commercial and it's one of the hardest things, but it's also one of the most important things, I guess, in remaining sustainable as a brand. And um, and I'm talking sustainable in terms of continuing your business in a very, you know, measured way that lasts, I guess. So what that's probably been the hardest thing for me is really um, looking at the financials and then looking at what I want to do with the brand and then making that sort of gel together. Um, another big thing is, um, I guess you when you when I started the brand, it was like 
just people I really wanted to work with or, you know, um, and they were all very young and then suddenly you had to get a lot more serious and start to hire people who are a lot smarter than you. And, um, and yeah, and I guess that's become a really important thing for me that I hire the best people that I can. And, um, and it becomes a very intentional part of the process. Another thing, I guess, would be, um, you know, I guess managing the calendar, which is really fast moving, and then setting processes which help team morale, like systems and processes actually help with team morale. And, um, yeah, there's just so many things you have to consider and it's nothing like when you first started the brand um, at the beginning. Yeah, I really wow. love it. Like I'm kind of really in- inspired by how every day you're kind of considering something different and how important it becomes to the longevity of what you're building. Yeah. Wow. And the people that you attract, I guess. Who is the one that sets that calendar and kind of keeps that running? Well, the calendar is sort of set by traditional fashion rules, I guess. We've got a spring, summer, autumn, winter, and but it's managed kind of backwards from when you have to hit the stores. So you kind of work backwards and you have to consider everything from long lead fabrics to shorter lead fabrics and how that all fits in and then the development time, which for us is really quite um, big, so we might do at least two prototypes um, and sometimes more, which we're trying to get better at actually, but um, at least two prototypes before we sign off on a um, design. And it's just a very long process from ordering sampling fabric, deciding that that's a fabric you're going to order for the collection and then then you're lab dipping and making sure that the colours are matching your vision for that colour palette for the collection. So it's really long. So I'm currently, um, I've just briefed in and we're designing the next resort collection. Mm-hmm. So when does that hit stores? That hits stores in November. Okay. Yeah. And my next brief for the autumn collection is due middle of March. So that's how ahead we're working. And it's really difficult because you often can't even see a collection go into store before you're developing the next one mm. or you have very little time to be able to do that and it's just because our lead times are so long. So where are you finding inspiration and trends? Yeah, I guess I find them everywhere um, from my closest friends to the women that I work with, you know, some of whom are you know, just got married or they've just had babies or they're younger, like everyone who kind of surrounds me is a real inspiration. Other times it's just um, it could be being at the beach, it could be an artist that I've just discovered or um, one collection was someone's home that I visited and she has a, an incredible vintage eye and a, an incredible eye for art and her entire house was just like an absolute inspiration and it inspired an entire collection. Um, yeah, it's just it kind of really varies from season to season. Um, next winter I was more inspired about that that kind of um, commonality 
and juxtaposition in some ways of um, masculine and feminine and how that really suits our Australian culture because we're quite laid back and that and that's the collection that comes out in April. So it's, yeah, it just it's always different. It could be what I read. It could be an editorial. It's And it starts with a bit of a feeling and then it just stems from there. Do you do you think the Australian labels, I mean, of course that they are, but what impact do the Australian labels and yourself find from the shows in Fashion Week that we see overseas? Yeah, look, they're really an important part of the process. So I mostly start with a creative brief. Like I said, it's quite emotive, so it's just whatever I'm feeling at the time. And then I'll go into a kind of a broad little colour palette of what I see it kind of looking like and and even a mood board of kind of the feeling behind this kind of creative vision that I've got. And then it's up to my design team to then look into what other trends, so the runways um, impact that. And um, then, like you said before, WGSN will give you some um, colour palettes that, that they see trending into the year ahead. And, yeah, we start to put together um, a bit of a – and it's the trend part is incredibly important because it's a, it's a way of staying modern. So I've got a very timeless brand and a very relaxed brand and we stay true to that in every way but then we have to make sure it's also modern and it's going to work with the modern woman's wardrobe. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a balance of the two in the end and that's, yeah, I guess how most designers, I think, would create a collection, um, especially Australian designers, but, yeah, that's what we do. Margie mentions WGSN and WGSN is the world's leading consumer trend forecaster and this is their words. Our accurate forecasts provide global trend insights expertly curated data and industry expertise to help our clients understand consumer behaviours and lifestyles to create products with confidence and trade at the right time. I'd love to hear about the balance of like when I watch a show, it's indulgent because I'm a pure consumer. I love the theatrics of it. I'm sitting there kind of live streaming, got my email from New York Fashion Week being like, woo, click the link to stream or whatever. But I feel like you would be watching it in such an analytical and um, research-based way. Yeah. Are you watching it kind of for work and you're taking notes or is that your team's job and they're presenting the flavours from the shows that would work for the business? Yeah. Look, I try and leave it mostly to my team to interpret that first but then I might come in and say, you know what, I really love what Bottega did in this and then we we start to collaborate a little bit more. Yeah. And then um, so, yeah, it's a little bit of both. I try not to get too stuck on that because the brand really is an evolution of what it began as and then it's continuously evolving and it's really important to me that whatever my customer buys from current season works back with previous seasons. So I just try and make it a little bit more organic in how we grow it and a bit more true to who we are. And I think being too fixated on that might, you know, I guess damage kind of the the vision of what people have of the brand, including myself. And the roots. Yeah, and the roots of the brand. And I think that's important that everyone stays true to who they are. And, yes, they're going to interpret trends and they're going to take inspiration from trends and other designers. Um, you know, we're all really hungry and we, we see so much now that you, have, you do take inspiration. But ultimately I try and think about my customer and what my brand stands for and 
um, try and evolve it a bit more organically. Yeah. So we met on your interview for Inside the Studio, which yeah. was shot for Melbourne Fashion Week in 2020. That yeah. was sort of we were dipping our toe into the pandemic at that point. So thank God we got to yeah. record. <laughs> I've been working with your team for quite a few years now in the video space and you invited me to be a part of your International Women's Day women that we work with, which is now, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's the photo that we took on that set is now the thumbnail of the podcast. No yeah, it's black. It's a black and white photo. I'm dressed full <laughs> Vic and Woods. I'm like, Love hey. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. So you've got some fantastic women around you and... That makes my job so fun because when I'm when I get an email from Harriet or any of your girls, they're so warm and beautiful, and they're so. Um, I feel like they are really true to the working environment that you have created. And walking up those stairs at your um, Richmond office, there's like a hum and a buzz to it. And you've got the loft agency there, and. Vikram Woods is behind closed doors, if yeah. you will, to the <laughs> listeners. You can hear it, but you can kind of see it. And then the girls are kind of darting along the hallways. They're just gorge. And, like, it's such a nice space. We've come and shot up there in the Loft Studio space a couple of times because it's flooded with natural light. And it's really admirable to be kind of on this big... The starting journey that I'm on, for example, I've got interviews all afternoon for my first hire. Yeah. We've grown the team to a point now where I do need somebody in here Monday to Friday. And when you work with freelancers, it's so exciting but terrifying. Yeah. And then I look to people like my parents who are in the hotel industry and that's obviously very different because they've got managers in every different department and all sorts of things to run that. And looking at a business like yours and seeing the warmth and the culture that's been created is so admirable and I just look at it I'm like oh my god how do I do that so when you're kind of hiring there's a lot out there about hiring and what to look for and the steps to take but the steps that one has to come to terms with within themselves of like becoming a good delegator bringing people in to nurture your vision and all of that and I predict that I may over nurture be like are you okay do you have everything that you need oh. like I'm I'm such like an emotive yeah. like warm like I just love everyone and I love giving yeah. everyone cuddles but they obviously need to separate that <laughs> so fig- yeah. like you've got in terms of it like it's hard because like what yeah. you're saying is like you know like for me they're all my friends yeah they're, they're my family and um, sometimes you do have to separate it and say and make decisions or say, hey, I need you to get this done and I need you to get it done by this time and, no, I need you to go back and fix that. And I think at the end of the day, like, if there's a mutual respect and um, you probably try not to blur the lines too much, mm. it's okay. But, you know, what? Well, I'll go out and have drinks with my girls and party with them and but at the same time they have an absolute respect for um every decision that I make and um you know sometimes in my in my younger years I guess I was a little bit more emotive as you as you put it and you know something upset me I'll probably let it be known and you know I've learned now to just really I just don't sweat the small stuff so much and um and sometimes it's just putting a line through that and just moving on to the next. I think, you know, you have to maybe think about it as being you are a professional, you are you are running your business and 
they are there not just to be your friends and part of your family and the growth of your business. They're there to learn from you and they want a business to succeed because they also want to succeed. So there's a um, there's a mutual benefit, I guess, in um, maintaining your professionalism and that little bit of distance but also that real empathy and um, feeling of family, I guess, around what you're building. So that's kind of what I'm learning more and more and I've still got a long way to go. But <laughs> I'm getting there. So, yeah. Amazing. So in the beginning you mentioned that you only had one skew, so it may, or not one skew, one one design. One design. Many skews. Yeah, three colours, four colours, yeah. So in that you probably were managing every element of the business because you could yeah. and with the loft agency you could because yeah. you only had two or three designers with you. So obviously that's changed <laughs> yeah. um, and you now have a team. How big is your team now? Oh, do you know what? I've lost count but maybe 140 could be 150. I'm not really sure. That's amazing. I feel like I'm hiring someone every day. So, like, yeah, it's it's a big team. How are you finding yourselves in the trenches now? Like what are you really working on day to day? Yeah, I guess I spend most time in design. Um, so I'm in fittings at least three times a week. I'm working with my designers at least two full days a week, um, if not every day. And but I still am very involved across the whole business. I'm the creative director, but I'm also the general manager. And in some ways, a creative director has to be part of like, what stores are we opening? What designers are we working with for these stores? Um, you know, what does the store look like? And then there's financial decisions that you have to be a part of. And it's still part of the process, that creative process in a lot of ways. Um, you know, what investments are we going to make? Um, in terms of, I don't know, capital purchases or whatever it might be. And then, you know, marketing, obviously I have a very big um, role to play in that because we I do a creative handover but then it becomes a, a, a broader marketing handover, I guess, once the collection's finalised. So, yeah, I'm kind of involved in a lot of things and I have to sign off a lot of things but um, I do have an incredible leadership team who owns their own departments and I give them ownership, I guess, to make the big decisions. And if I disagree with them, they'll know because they run things <laughs> by me. But um, but mostly I trust their um, judgment and their analysis of what, what decisions they're making and why. So, yeah. This episode is so warmly brought to you by the beautiful team at the Australian Style Institute. They offer hands-on practical learning by industry-leading stylists for curious creatives and entrepreneurial minds just like you. Find out more and chat to the team at australianstyleinstitute.com.au. You guys have quite a fantastic sustainability strain. Yeah. So how did sourcing those initiatives sort of strengthen the pillars for you of the brand and when we sat down for Melbourne Fashion Week that was a lot of what we spoke about and it was pretty remarkable how you guys are going and how um, sort of how candid you are about how the cotton comes from Australia but then it can't be woven here or can't be something here so then it has to go off there but you're working or what I got from that was that you're working in a way that is like the absolute most you can do you're doing yeah. And a lot of designers are trying to get to that. Yeah. 
but the world of kind of design and manufacturing won't necessarily let you guys be what yeah what what people are are wanting to hear. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I guess look, um, sustainability can be quite ambiguous, um, and it's you know with cotton, we actually source a lot of our cotton from um, offshore because it is actually organic. Whereas in Australia, it takes a lot of water, I guess, to grow cotton. So, um, and there are new initiatives around Australian cotton and it, yeah, it does, like even the wool here originates here, but it has to go um, to Italy or to China to get milled before it comes back here and then we knit it into a garment. So there's so many little um, intricacies and um, ambiguities across the entire process. But one thing that's for sure is that um, collectively, um, most Australian fashion, well, most brands are um, heading towards the best um, sustainable approach that they can. Um, so for us, it was it started off with 100% merino, um, which I actually originally got the wool from New Zealand before I shifted it to Australian wool. Um, but, yeah, it, and then I started launching into... Um, cottons and then into silk and it was quite an organic process and I think I wanted to wear natural fibres. I don't know what it was. It was just something that I um, enjoyed um, wearing more and it was also a bit of a, you know, it was kind of by default that we became sustainable but it it was, I mean, like back then it was just about natural fibres. Now that's called sustainability. It's just how the language starts to evolve and grow but it was, yeah, very much the DNA of the brand and what, um, again, that sort of gap that I felt I was missing in the market and could not find um, in the market and that love of natural fibres and stuff. So, yeah, and now it's like, um, you know, more and more suppliers, are they're using recycled poly and... Um, you know, linen's a huge thing in the market and there's, there's so much more availability. But when I first started, it was really, really difficult. So I would see some headers of fabrics and, and it was all poly. And then I'd say, hey, guys, can you go to this supplier? Because we've got a few mills over here in um, Melbourne and see if he can make this in a cotton for me or a um, wool cotton blend or whatever it was, and I've tried to sub out all the, um, um, you know, man-made fibres out of it um, by redeveloping that fabric. But now it's a lot more available, I guess, and the industry really is doing a lot to um, better the process, I guess. The pressures and stuff that you guys have to keep up with, that the consumer is, I guess, demanding. And your consumer is a little bit more conservative, so maybe not an understanding of the pace and your intentions are great and that when you will do, when you can do things, you will. Um, But, yeah, how how are you finding that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there was a point maybe even like three years ago when Every single question was about sustainability. And, you know, I just try and be really honest and say we we try to do it as much as we can. Like my design team have KPIs of a minimum of 80% of their um, any fabric that they choose or anything that they design 
has to be 80 to 85% um, sustainable in some way. And sometimes that could be just in the timelessness of the the fabric, the, the des- actual design, the garment. Um, and other times it's in, you know, the textiles that are used. It's I, I think it's just much more of a, a holistic thing, I guess, rather than, yeah, I, it's, it's very difficult to be just one way focused. For me, the whole idea of the brand needs to be sustainable, timeless, simple, um, se- um, trans-seasonal in, in as much as possible and, you know what I mean, I, I, ha- I really love that I share my wardrobe with my child and I think that that's sustainable and then when I'm, you know, culling my wardrobe, I guess, that I've got someone else to give it to and then there's another new life. And I think that's just as important as any other part of the sustainable process that you go through as a brand. And, you know, and then sometimes it's like, hey, my team is 130 big but my head office is only 40 people and there's so many elements to, um, you know, marketing a business and growing a business and, um you kind of have to pace things and suddenly when you've caught on to something it's already outdated and it's like you just can't be that hard on yourself can you you just got to keep going and with the right intentions and I think that's what's important most important thing is just have the right intentions yeah yeah absolutely when we're in business now it's very on trend with you must have a why of why you do what you do yeah. so that you can carry the brand forward. Do you know what your why is? You know, I guess my why is that, I, you know, for me fashion and the way you dress is it is a reflection of who you are and it does have the power to make you feel confident and then to um, approach your day in the best way possible, like, that's what it is for me, like, you know what I mean? And I like the idea of um, or I value the idea of any woman who wears a Victorian Woods garment is feeling confident and is feeling, um, you know, modern and not so much powerful but just, um, I guess, in control of her day and her life and how that it, how it takes her from morning to night in both comfort and style, you know, and I guess that means a lot to me and I think if if you can start your day dressing well and it's going to make you feel good and then you're going to be a better person, then that's a pretty good, good enough reason to exist in, in many ways, you know what I mean, without being, you know, too, like, analytical about it, just in a very broad sense. I want my customer to feel great about herself. Mm, the domino effect of what that can do to yeah, someone's day right, is yeah. so cool. I love that. So are there moments that you in your career that you look back on as moments that really change things or when you sort of realise the scale of your label? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, opening a store and then realising, oh, wow, I really have a customer who wants to come into my store and purchase, you know, my designs and then how you suddenly can't, you realise you can't stay still in fashion. 
you can go slow and we certainly have grown very slowly. Like we're 18 years old and we've only just started opening stores in 2014. Um, so 10 years on from when the brand was um, born. And I guess, you know, it kind of becomes a bit more of a hunger and like what are you doing now? What's the next collection like? And there's, as you know, there's this real buy now, wear now mentality and then so it becomes oh, my customer wants to see something every two weeks almost. Yeah, the and drops, wow. Yeah, and then you like, you start to see, wow, this is, like, I, don't, I don't know. I always, always had a visualisation about who I was going to be or what I was going to do, and but I never, don't think I at that point ever visualised having like 20 stores, I guess. And, um, yeah, so that was an oh, wow moment that, you realise, oh, I can't stop at one store. I've got to go to two and three. And it's like, oh, gosh, you know what I mean? It just becomes, yeah, it's just so much bigger, you know, and you constantly have to be relevant. You have to grow, otherwise you get forgotten. It's all these little things, you know. Do you think that TikTok and content and all those things are impacting the business? I think what's hard about all those platforms is that, the speed at which they grow and the demographic, I guess, at, that where it starts with. And But, look, I love them. I think it's a great way to reach new audiences. It's a great way to learn about audiences. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I don't actually, I don't have any fear of any of that because all those little things, Instagram, it was one day, at one stage it was Facebook. It helped, helped you reach an audience Whereas prior to that, um, it used to be very editorial-based. You know, you had to have the right, right relationships with editors of the biggest magazines, all of which are based in Sydney, none in Melbourne. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you had to get placement and to be seen, I guess. But having um, these different platforms and channels and um, opportunities to really express your own voice or reach out in your own way is, I think, a great thing, yeah. What are you seeing as important for the next generation of designers? They're really clever. They're so clever because they do tap into these platforms like your TikToks and they they know how to um, create audiences really quickly and um, they know how to – what they're really good at is creating scarcity as well around their products, especially these Gen Z um, brands. But I guess at the end of the day, um, you you also are a brand and you do have to evolve and you do have to stay relevant and it's not just the hype around um, what this, you know, digital world gives you, I guess. It's more about the values of your brand and the bigger parts of – how it evolves and grows and I think if, you know, because some of them are starting their brands at 18, 19, 20 and they haven't really. It's with an Instagram mood board and are coming soon. <laughs> no, that's it and you wonder how are you going to like, you know, what is their capacity? I don't know yet but um, it's it's definitely not one um, channel that can that makes a brand. It's it's a kind of multitude of things and a holistic way of approaching it and I guess that's what they've got to learn and sometimes it's you've got to take some side, side foot steps to be able to learn so much more. 
it's not just these upward steps and thinking that you do know it all, you know what I mean? But, you know, who knows? I mean, I have to see how some of these brands that I watch and my daughter watches evolve, I guess. You've got stunning stores and when you're in your... When you're in one of your stores, it really feels beautiful and the visual merchandising, the consideration of ceiling heights even is so beautiful Um, and you've also got this fantastic brand identity with the campaigns. It's always quite soft and neutral but so elegant. How are you keeping consistency so that the messaging and the tone of voice and the image of the brand is so consistent? Yeah. Well, I guess... um you know, I've got a, I've got a mood board that almost hardly ever changes. It's like this, um, it's like my brand mood board, and I honestly, from I barely changed a piece of it. Like I might change out one picture to another some way, but I guess I feel quite proud. I guess that I've had this one mood board that feels that encapsulates the brand so much. And I think from that, you know, from that vision of what that mood board looks like, what your um, woman looks like and how you want her to feel when she walks into a store and, you know, how you want her to be greeted and that sort of consistency in tone across not just the collection but the girls who are um, uh, representing the brand and are, in, are our brand ambassadors, I guess, every girl that's in our store that works for us. Um Yeah, I think you just have to be, I guess it's just remaining super true to what what you are as a brand because brands are like living, breathing things, you know, and, um, yeah, I guess I would would just say like have a true visualisation of what it is that your brand is and make sure that those, um, each touch point for that customer tells a consistent and cohesive story, um, whether that be through the website, through the stores, through the collection, through the imagery that you're making from season to season. It just has to have this kind of cohesive feeling and language and tone. And and if you've, you've got that and if the customer is appreciating that and she feels good when she walks in and she feels like you're, um, she kind of understands... Um, what Victoria and Woods is about, then I guess, you know, hopefully you're making some, like, positive choices around that. So if you feel that there's a consistency, I'm not sure if you do, I hope you do, but if you feel there's a consistency from one location to the next and even into the website, then I think we're doing an okay job, yeah. I can definitely, (laughs) I can comment on that, that you are. That brings me to the end of my chat with Margie. She had to run off. She shared with me that she's heading to a weekend trade meeting as she does every Monday afternoon to review the numbers achieved in the past week and then into fittings for the rest of the afternoon. I can imagine that she'll be in the design room, which is in their Richmond office, which has a whole wall of fabrics, one wall of machines and a great big window on one side. On the other side are working tables where they create collections that we're going to swoon over on the other side of this year. She's incredibly well put together and really instilled the reminder of longevity in one's career. And if you want to build something, you can't do it alone. A special thanks to the Australian Style Institute for sponsoring this episode. They offer hands-on practical learning by industry-leading stylists for curious creatives and entrepreneurial minds just like you. 
Find out more and chat to the team at australianstyleinstitute.com.au. We'll see you next Sunday.